All right, so open up with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to be finishing our time together in our study of this great epistle. And we're going to be looking at verses 6 to 18. This is the third sermon. Um, actually, excuse me, the second sermon um, on these verses. So really, the last this week and, and last week are really two parts of one long sermon that I just had to split up for time's sake. And so you know we're probably just going to be hitting the ground running, um, picking right up where we left off last week. So hear the word of the Lord to you today, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 18. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thus ends the reading of God's holy in errant word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives today. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this wonderful portion of your word that feeds us so richly, we ask, Lord, you'd give us open hearts that would believe it, that through your Holy Spirit's power and help, we'd put it into practice, and that, Lord, that it would uh, work itself out in a way that brings Jesus all the glory in the days to come. We ask this in our blessed Savior's name, Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So I mentioned last time, um, last week's message and this week's message are actually one long sermon. So we're just going to pick it right up where we left off last time and just want to remind you of the main theme and points. Um, as we began to see last time, the message of 2 Thessalonians 3 can be summed up like this. As we eagerly await our Lord's promised return, there are prayers to be prayed, commands to be obeyed, and grace that's conveyed. We saw last time we looked at the prayers to be prayed, and this time we're going to look at the next two things. Uh, with much more emphasis on the second one. 
And the, the second one is commands to be obeyed. We're going to take a look at that this morning. And then we're going to have just a few moments to mention the last thing we see in this text, grace conveyed. These are the things we are to be um, engaged in as we wait eagerly for our Lord's promised return. So let's take a look at the second thing um, since we dealt with the prayers to be prayed last time. So we look at commands to be obeyed. So Paul says this, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. First thing we have to see as we continue to look at just what type of things we should be doing as we eagerly await our Lord's promised return is that although it is 100% true and blessedly so that Christianity is not merely a religion but a relationship and that salvation can't be earned by trying to obey God's commands but it's rather entirely the free gift of God's grace in Christ. It's equally true that it is also an organized religion. And it does include obedience to the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, sometimes we rightly stress the fact that the king of the universe is our savior. And he's our friend. He's not some stern, impossible to reach, unmovable taskmaster. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen? But we have to remember just as regularly, just as often, that our Savior and friend is also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In other words, he's not our equal. He's not one of our buddies. Or to put it in Narnian lingo, he's not a tame lion. This is to say that the Lord Jesus is certainly our closest friend. He's our most intimate Savior, and, and He is our great High Priest. But He's also our glorious and majestic Lord and King, who is to be obeyed by faith. Yes, of course, He gives us grace, He gives us comfort, He gives us peace, He gives us joy, and He gives us life forevermore, praise His name. But He also gives us our marching orders. You know, Revelation eleven fifteen where it says, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, we are to live in light of that reign of Christ in the future, here and now. We, as his people, are under his lordship. It shouldn't be any surprise to, for us to find out that while we await his return, while we await that great day, we should delight in obeying his commands. The Apostle John puts it this way in his first epistle, 1 John 5.3. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Well, I say all this because in Thessalonica, there was a small minority of believers who were not living according to the teaching of Christ's official ambassadors, the apostles. And Paul gives them a clear command on how, he gives the majority a clear command on how to deal with this minority who weren't living according to the commands of Christ, how to deal with them in love. 
So he commands them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to drive home to them that this isn't his personal request. It's not just some helpful suggestion that they could take or leave as they see fit. You know, like sometimes I'll say, I'll give some advice and I'll say something like, well, this is just my two cents. You can do what you want with it. Not so here with the Apostle Paul. He's saying that these orders are coming from the very top. You can't go any higher. The Most High God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the second person of the Blessed Holy Trinity. But yet, note, I want you to see also in the text the beautiful, delicate balance we have here. He's not super heavy-handed here. He, he calls them what? Brothers. So as to say, come on, brothers, we're in this together. We're under the reign of Christ, joyfully doing what he says for his glory and for our own good. And that others might come to know Christ and join his kingdom. So what is this first command? been talking a lot about obeying the commands. Let's look at verse 6. This is what he commands the Thessalonians. Keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. So the first command is to stay away from every brother that is a professing Christian who refuses to work for a living and does not live according to the apostolic teaching. Now, he'll explain why more in verse 14. But for now, let's just simply note a few things. First of all, one reason to stay away from such idlers is because a little leaven can spoil the whole batch of dough. In other words, bad company corrupts good character. When you have intimate fellowship with someone, very rarely will the one who is walking in faithfulness to the Lord pull the other one up to their level, so to speak. Nine times out of ten, the opposite's going to happen. The disobedient one will drag down the obedient one, the faithful one. When we, were first, when we first started here in Atlantic City, we were ministering to a family from another country um, and trying to encourage the head of the house to settle down and get a job to work so he could provide for his wife and children. Well, when he finally did, we were so excited um, I called to check up on him, and I found out that he quit in just a few days due to what he called stomach aches. Well, I found out a little later that a fellow immigrant came to him and said to him, Man, why are you working? You can live for free here in America. And thus he led him into the sin of idleness by his own practice and laziness. So Paul is saying to stay away so, number one, they won't be affected by this bad attitude, unbiblical attitude of not working for a living. Secondly, what message will having normal, close fellowship with an idle brother or sister send them? In other words, we'll be telling them by our actions, it's totally acceptable to flout apostolic commands and to be a sponger on the community. And thirdly, and very importantly, what message would it send the watching world who so desperately needs to see a community of faith in Christ in action? It would send a message to them that we tolerate such an evil, destructive practice in our midst. So Paul says, stay away from them. This will lessen the risk of their evil ways rubbing off on you. It'll let them know that they're not living in fellowship with Jesus in their current state. And that things aren't okay. 
And it also show the watching world that the church of Jesus Christ doesn't promote or condone such idleness. Now, verses 7 to 10, Paul backs up his command with the example of how he and his fellow gospel workers lived among them when they were with them. Look at verse 7 for me, with me. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. What Paul is basically saying is this. He's saying, listen, we gave you a living example of how to live in a way that's pleasing to God as it applies to a Christian work ethic. We weren't idle. We didn't take advantage of your hospitality and live off you, but rather we worked night and day so as not to be a burden to you. But then he makes an important clarification. He says this, We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. So what Paul is saying is that he would be well in his God-given rights to take their help since ministering the gospel, pastoring souls, shepherding saints, and discipling leaders is real work worthy of financial remuneration. Jesus taught this in Luke 10, 7, where he says the worker is worthy of his wages, speaking of gospel ministers. And then Paul himself affirms it in 1 Timothy 5, 18, where he says, um, elders who give themselves full time to teaching and preaching deserve uh, double honor, meaning uh, financial remuneration. He quotes from the law, do not muzzle the ox when it's treading out the grain. But what Paul is saying here is that he and his fellow workers did not use those rights specifically to model for them the rule that they laid down for them when they were with them. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. You know, the whole it's more caught than taught idea. These idlers have no excuse for their behavior. A godly, industrious work ethic was taught and modeled for their edification and for the glory of Jesus. And remember, Paul and his fellow missionaries were church planners. They'd go from place to place starting churches. They weren't the pastor or pastors of an established church where they stayed. But up to this point, Paul has mainly been addressing the faithful majority on how to deal with the idle minority. But in verses 11 to 12, he addresses the idle directly. Look at verses 11 to 12 with me. We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. The command to the majority, stay away. The command to the minority, settle down and get to working. Start earning the bread you eat. Now listen, some of us watched our parents toil and labor from nine to five, at least six days a week. And we said to ourselves, I would just hate the monotony of punching in and punching in a clock every day and working such steady hours. So we decided to try to find full-time jobs that involve more flexibility and more creativity. So that might mean starting our own business 
working in a vocation where it's more important to get the job done by the deadline than it is to just clock in the time. And there's no shame in doing real work from home. There's no shame in being an entrepreneur or working at jobs that have more flexible hours. But here's the rub for us today. These things should not be used as an excuse to cover up laziness and refusal to put in a good, honest day of labor. Now, in our day, yes, we need to emphasize that, no, not all are called to be carpenters, plumbers, bricklayers, day laborers, farmers, nurses, mechanics, maintenance men, etc. But here's the thing. Some are. And how often we hear pitches like, maybe you think you could do what your boss does, but you don't. Instead, you punch in and out, day after day, always working to build someone else's dream, never your own. That's utter nonsense, brothers and sisters. What is that saying to all the faithful, talented, and hardworking carpenters, bricklayers, steelworkers, bridge builders, who put all their energy, blood, and sweat, and toil into their work to provide vital and valuable services to the world? It's saying that they're missing something, that maybe they're even missing God's best, and that their, their, their work isn't valuable. Remember what Paul wrote in his first epistle to, to the Thessalonians. In chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, he wrote this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the normal, general rule for the Christian life. Lead a quiet life, mind your business, and work with your hands. It may not seem exciting or terribly earth-shattering, but it's our Lord's will, and it'll be just as rewarded as the missionary who carries out his work faithfully unto the Lord. Again, some of us have been burned by an overemphasis on the mind your own business part of this verse. I've heard people proudly say that they've followed a philosophy of, I mind my own business and I don't bother anybody and I don't want to be bothered by anybody. So I'm a good neighbor. Well, that's not exactly what Paul means here. He's not telling us to isolate ourselves from the community and become trolls who retreat into our own little caves, interacting with others as little as possible. That would contradict all of his other injunctions to be very much involved in each other's lives in the right sense. And just go back and read First and Second Thessalonians. You'll see how many times God, tell, uh, God tells us through Paul to encourage one another, to, to um, exhort one another, to love one another. So he's not saying not to be involved. He's saying not to be a busybody. I was listening to the song Blue Collar Man the other day by Styx. Yeah, I know, I'm showing my age. But it brought me to tears because it made me think of the positive example of my own dad that he gave us of leading a quiet life, of minding one's business and working with one's hands. The following verse and chorus had a particular impact on me. The song goes, give me a job. Give me security. Give me a chance to survive. I'm just a poor soul in the unemployment line. My God, I'm hardly alive. My mother and my father, my wife and my friends. 
I see them laugh in my face. But I got the power and I got the will. I'm not a charity case. I'll take those long nights, impossible odds, keeping my eye to the keyhole. If it takes all that to be just what I am, I'm going to be a blue-collar man. And we need to praise the Lord for all the blue-collar men and women who serve and work hard and who live a quiet life and mind their own business and do something useful for the community and even for God's kingdom for those who know him. We need to swing the pendulum back toward this a little bit in our day. We need to remember the words of Proverbs 28.11. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. And Paul specifically here commands those who are idle to urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. But he quickly turns back to the faithful majority and he writes this, look in verses 13 and following. And as for you, brothers, never tire of what is right, of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now Paul already gave his strong exhortations to the idol a number of times in the first epistle of Thessalonians. And then because it persisted in his second epistle. Now he goes a step further and tells them what to do if they don't heed the warning he gives in his second epistle. He tells them to take special note of anyone who doesn't obey his instructions in this letter. And he tells them not to associate with them. No, no fellowship as usual. Why? He tells us right here. So that they'll feel ashamed. You know, in some instances, when a brother or sister is taken by a weakness and gets caught and feels horrible that they fell into a particular besetting sin, we rightly get around them, comfort them. We remind them of the cross. We urge them not to feel ashamed, but to bring their shame to the one who took their shame when he died on the cross. Amen. But sometimes, once in a while, as in the case in Thessalonica before us, concerning those who refuse to work after numerous warnings, they need to feel the shame of it. They need to relearn to blush so that it will cause them to make things right to settle down and earn the bread they eat and to return into full and joyful fellowship with God and his people. Now you need to think about it this way. This is sanctified common sense. What good are commands and rules that aren't put into practice? That aren't held to? I went to the meeting um, of the Maplewood ministry where they have an after-school program for the kids once a week in Bricktown, New Jersey, uh, the town right next to the town I grew up in, Point Pleasant, New Jersey. And as they were meeting, they talked about, hey, sometimes when the kids get a, a, um, unruly, uh, maybe what we could do, they said, is why don't we put like a list of rules up on a poster on the wall, and when things get a little out of hand, we could kind of bring them back to that poster and remind them of the basic rules we have. And I thought that was an excellent idea. Because think about it, 
That's what church discipline is all about, holding each other to the truth of the gospel that we profess to believe. Of course, prayers are to be prayed, but commands are also to be obeyed in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith, for our own good, for his glory, and for the reaching of the community around us. Now, those things are a very tall order Without this very last thing, I only have a moment or two to mention. And that is not only commands to be obeyed, but grace. Paul doesn't leave them there. There's grace to be conveyed. That's how Paul ends the letter. Look at with me at the end of verses 16 to 18. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We all know the song. We all have sung it numerous amount of times. Unless you're brand new to the church, brand new to Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. And then there's this line. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Brothers and sisters, it's that grace in Christ Jesus that will see to it that the work that was begun in us will be completed until the day of Christ Jesus. And so Paul leaves the people at Thessalonica, he leaves us with this blessing. God's grace is upon his people, moving us for our own good, by faith, to submit to God into the reign of Christ. Here and now, more and more, of course, not perfectly until Jesus comes again, but as I've said many, many times, we may not be sinless, but by the grace of God and His work in our lives, we are to sin less and less as we grow in Christ together. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these wonderful gospel words. We thank you for the great encouragement we've uh, gotten from them throughout our study of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And we even pray, uh, we give you thanks, Lord, for this strong exhortation. For we know that as sinners saved by grace, we need these words to purify us, to keep us on track, and to help us glorify you for our own good and for the benefit of others who don't yet know you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.